Hey, I'm Drew. And I'm Dan. And welcome to Budgeting Redefined. We're glad you're here. We're going to start off talking about how far would you go to save $50? And then we talk about the perceptions of money as a kid and how your perceptions change as you get older and to become an adult. Then we'll talk a little bit about the IRS stimulus for the coronavirus and how that affects us. And then we get to hear your story about trying to sell your home in the middle of the coronavirus and whether it's worth it to pay for an agent to sell your home. That's right. So stick around. So today I came across this app called Yak, which is kind of like sending each other. It's almost like you're sending each other voicemails. It's asynchronous communication, which means you're not both on the phone at the same time, but you can record your voice send it to someone else, and then they can listen to it when they have time. So Drew and I, I thought we'd give it a try today. So I, I asked Drew if he'd be up for it. And it seems cool. It seems like a good idea to me because you can talk. It's, it's just a lot easier to just get things out sometimes talking rather than typing it up. But also you can increase the playback speed when you're listening to someone, which is also good because you can comprehend things a lot faster than you can speak. And so, you know, speeding that up is just more efficiency. So it was funny getting the app going and some of the weird things that happened. Why don't you you tell us your experience, Drew? Well, I can understand the innovation because let's be honest, like the whole leaving the voicemail, getting the voicemail, listening to the voicemail and is like problematic, right? Yeah. And the translation, at least that Apple gives, <laughs> is really kind of not not hitting it. And I don't know if you no. have this problem, but I have voicemails that I delete them and they come back. Have you had this problem? I have seen that before, like where I will swipe it to delete and then it goes away. And then a second later, it pops back in. I have seen that. So I'm excited about this potential new way of like leaving people voicemails is what it feels like to me. Someone mm-hmm. sent me uh, essentially a voicemail message, but they just recorded it on their phone and they sent it to me as a link, you know, or just as mm. a file. And I was like, Oh, that worked really well. So this sounds like what that is. Yeah. But what was, what was funny is that once I got into the software, I was expecting a big screen where there would be like lots of things going on. I think I saw that in the demo, but it was just this little, this little screen with like three dots or not or circles, I should say that were there. And one of them represented the support team, but I didn't realize that that was the support. I thought it was just like the logo for the thing. And I thought if I clicked on it, it would, <laughs> it would launch yeah. the app. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I click on it and then there's this uh, little s- square that has three little lines on the side of it, which I think means enlarge. I mean, I'm just guessing I've never mm-hmm. used it software before, yeah. but it doesn't mean that it means record whatever's happening on your screen right now and send it to support. Right. <laughs> These people <laughs> don't know what's happening. So, <laughs> My desktop screen is not neat. It's like, it's my workspace. It's full of screenshots. I'm always taking screenshots and sending screenshots or whatever. So it is just, it's cluttered. And so I I send, I basically didn't, without knowing it, record my screen and then send it to <laughs> someone's support over at this software that I've never, don't know who's connected on the other end. And I was like, okay. Oh my gosh. It's like you're airing out your dirty laundry inadvertently. Maybe there's financial information on your screen. Who knows, yeah, right? Yeah. Passwords. <laughs> uh, hilarious. <laughs> yeah. The desktop, that's funny. I, I didn't know if you were talking about you were on the desktop or on the iOS version. And the desktop app is super weird. Like I was on their website, which was covering my whole screen. 
And when you launch the desktop app, it just shows this floating circle in the corner of your screen. And it's their same brand colors and everything. I didn't even see it. I was like, how do I start the app? You know, it was it was running, but I couldn't see it. So that's our comedy around uh, trying to communicate remotely. Yeah, but let's talk some money things. I want to hear your story about the headphones. A couple of weeks ago, I decided, well, actually, my noise canceling headphones that my my brother gave me like five years ago eventually died. So that was sad. And it was time to get some new headphones. Um, I had Apple AirPods, but I lost those like a few months after I got them. And so I was like, well, let's let's just get the best thing out there, right? Like whatever's the best pair of headphones, because I use headphones all the time. So I asked my brother and I had talked to him before about these Bose noise canceling 700 series headphones. They're like amazing, right? Top of the line. What's the price point? So these were $400. Yeah, $400 okay. headphones. Let's go. Okay, we'll get some good headphones. It's all in, right? So I was like, okay, I, I looked at them online. They had great features. Some features I didn't even know were a thing. But with noise-canceling headphones, like they have conversation mode, so you can turn off the noise-canceling. And the microphones on the outside of the headphones actually pick up the audio around you when you're in conversation mode and pump it into your ears so you can hear better even though these are like these headphones cover your ears, but they have like all these crazy features that make it work awesome. So I bought these headphones from Bose. And then the next day, my brother messaged me again and said, Hey, if you're, if you're going to buy those, you should get them on Amazon. Cause they just went on sale. They're like $350, $50 off. So I was like, Oh man, I just bought them. <laughs> and he was like, well, you could always just return them. Right. And buy them on Amazon. And then I was like in this pickle because I felt like, yeah, I could do that and save $50. Like I should totally do that. But the ones I bought from Bose already shipped. And so I looked online. I knew they, I knew I could return them, but it would mean I'd have to go through the process of doing the return. So I looked online and at first glance, it looked like I would need to call somebody. <laughs> I don't know what it is about us in our world, at least in America. It's like, ooh, $50 or make this phone call. It's like, <laughs> just keep my money. I don't want to call you. I don't want to talk to you. Right. I don't want to tell you that I want to send these back to you because I found them cheaper on Amazon. Mm. But I was I was thinking about this podcast and this dilemma and what I would say. And I felt like I need to just own up and do it. Right. Send them back buy them on Amazon, make the call and like save $50. Like that's what I would do if I was like serious about my money. So I order them on Amazon. I get the courage. I make the order. I couldn't return them yet. The ones from Bose because I hadn't received him. So I had to wait. I finally got them a, a few days later. And then I was like, well, do I open them and use them while I'm waiting for these ones from Amazon? Or is that like even worse because now they have to like repackage them and they're like refurbished and it's like cost. And I'm thinking about Bose as like I'm in a relationship with them, right? And I'm kind of like hosing them. I'm like buying from reseller, which they're only getting a smaller profit and it's cheaper. And I'm like having them refurbish these headphones. So I feel like I'm kind of like screwing them over. And I'm sure a lot of people maybe don't worry about that, but it's just something I think about. So anyway, I decide to just go ahead and open up the headphones because I can't wait. So I open them up and start using them and they're awesome. And then 
I like wimped out and I went back on Amazon and I canceled my order for the headphones because <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't do it. Yeah. So fortunately, but it was in that limbo period where Amazon's like, we're already preparing your order, but we can still try to cancel it. So we'll let you know. But then I found out like later in the day that they were able to successfully cancel it. And the end of the story is those headphones gave me a headache. So I ended up having to return them to Bose anyway. No. <laughs> yeah. No. So now, now I'm wearing Apple AirPods, which I've had before, and I really love. But I was hoping the those right, would right. work out. <laughs> I have questions. I have questions. So first of all, when you first bought the bows, before you'd heard from your brother, mm-hmm. did you have a feeling of joy about that purchase? Were you excited? Yeah, I was definitely. I okay. had, had the, the headphones I had had before were bows, and this was like the upgraded model, and I had loved those ones. But they were wired and these were Bluetooth. And I, I was excited about it for sure. And then when your brother told you about the discount, like you could get them for cheaper, did that make you more excited because you were going to get the same headphones for cheaper? Or did it actually like take a slice out of your enthusiasm because it sent you into this like conundrum of what do I yes, do now? That is such a good question. And it was totally number two. Like, okay. and, and that's kind of what I decided on the end. In the end was that... Like the $50 wasn't worth the anxiety that I would have to go through and the rigmarole of, you know, buying them somewhere else, returning them from Bose, waiting for the refund, making sure that goes through because I'm like OCD like that, right? I want to make sure that I get the money back in my account and, and all that. So I think that is an interesting aspect of buying things is that sometimes it's not the money, it's the purchasing experience itself, right? To feel like, you got a lot of value out of what you bought and the purchasing experience was pleasurable. I think mm-hmm. that really plays into how we spend our money and how much we appreciate what we buy. Right. So you were also talking about if the $50 was another type of purchase, you would have been like, of course, I'm not going to not gonna yeah. do, do that. Uh, and you were mentioning like if it was a sandwich that went from $10 to 60 bucks, it would be like, heck no. But right. the $50 in this scenario where the, the product is 400 it's like, ah, eh, you know, it's, yeah. it's okay. I don't. And yeah. I think, though, that that actually does matter, meaning the price of the purchase. The $50 for the sandwich, yes, you probably should, like, hold off on doing that. And the $50 for the headphones, even though it's the same amount of money and you sort of say, you know what, it's not worth the $50 for me to package it up and worry about it. I, I kind of understand that, even though it's the same amount of money. And I think it has to do with, well, with the frequency and the size of the purchase, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. if you purchase a $10 sandwich for 60 bucks, you have to eat again in four hours. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> that, yeah. you know, $60 sandwich is not going to lie. You got to be at it again. And if the frequency of the purchase, if it's that much more than that's going to do it. And the other other extremes would be like if you were making a purchase for a half a million dollar house. Yeah. Right. And it was like the inspector came back and it was, you know, it was $300 inspection, but it's actually $350. Like yep. you wouldn't be like, hold up, wait a minute. <laughs> this deal is off. I know the value of 50 bucks, right? Yep. I'm not doing this deal anymore call the whole thing off. Like it, you wouldn't right. do that, right? Because yep. the size of the purchase and the frequency of the purchase makes, even though it's the same amount of money, it's worth the same thing. You wouldn't do that. Yeah. I think the frequency is a really good point, especially like with this, the sandwich analogy, right? Like that just, 
comes up so frequently, you have to, you would have to manage that more closely. But I do think there's something to the idea of like $50 has the same amount of purchasing power, whether or not you're buying a sandwich or headphones or a house, right? It, it mm-hmm. has the same value. It doesn't change in value based on what we're buying. Yeah. And so what is it about, you know, if we just stick with the headphones in the sandwich, or let's say we're buying socks on Amazon, some special socks. Okay. And they, w- they were $60. And I was like, these socks are so amazing. They last forever. I'm going to pay 60 bucks. And then they drop to $10. Like that to me would put me in a different situation where I would be like, I could buy six pairs of these, you know, for $10. So of course I'm going to return them, but the headphones, $50, I don't know. Right. What's, what is that? Why do we behave that way? Why do we treat the value of money differently in different scenarios? Yeah. I don't know, but I I like your thought. I think, I think you can let it slide if it, if it's not too frequent. <laughs> so switching gears here for a second, what were uh, some of your first perceptions as of money as, as a kid? I remember, I can't remember how old I was. I was probably like 10 when my older sister, Amanda, got a checkbook. And I was like, what? How, <laughs> how, how can she have a checkbook? She's still like a teenager. You can't just give teenagers free money. They just write checks. <laughs> And they can get whatever they want. What? Like how? I don't understand. Uh huh. And for some reason, I don't remember asking that question. I just remember being perplexed. Right. Like the checkbooks was unlimited funds for anything you wanted to buy. Yeah. Is that right? He's like, you're going to let this teenager yeah. buy anything they want? Like, <laughs> <laughs> You had to be an adult before you got a checkbook and you could just buy whatever with, no, you know, and a blank check. Just write it for whatever you want. So I found out that my wife had a similar story, which was at one point she asked to buy something and her mom said like, no, we can't afford it or whatever. And she was like, well, why don't you just write a check for it? You have your checkbook, right? Yeah. Sign, sign the dotted line. So that was like, I, I remember that being one of my first thoughts about money. It's like, how does, how does that work? Do you remember every, anything like that when you were a kid or just like valuing money? I don't remember thinking that money was... You could just write a check and you would just get it. Or that always kind of felt like there was tied to something and there wasn't an unlimited amount of that thing. But we had enough to to where my dad was taking care of it. Mom and dad were taking care of it. So it wasn't like I felt like we had to really scrimp and scrape. And if we didn't do that, then, you know, we would be in we would be in trouble. Like we might Mm -hmm. not be able to do something that we want to do. So it wasn't like it was unlimited money, but it also wasn't like. We had to be very careful about spending. But one of the things that somehow got into my psychology was spending money and then making sure that I got the best deal possible. Does this resonate with you at all? And this kind of goes into our previous story a little bit. Yeah. So it's like, um, are you sure you couldn't have got it cheaper from somewhere else? And are you sure you really need it? And are you sure... Did you really want it? And is there another way you could get to the same end through another means? And you could put this together and that, and you could use this mm-hmm. other thing that's not new and or whatever, and just you know get by or something yeah. like that. This is like mostly from your parents, kind of guiding you in decisions, or this is just kind of your own thinking. I don't know if I can blame my parents for this. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't feel right about that. You know, I don't know where this came from, but it did come. It came from that. From, it, it's there. 
So one of the results of that is that, you know, you can get yourselves into with, with so many different facets that go into a particular decision about buying something, you can get paralyzed, right? Because you're not sure yes. do it now. Mm-hmm. And let's layer on this fact, like mm-hmm. that there's lots of games kind of being played about the pricing of things and just dis- not games, but discounts and timing and stuff like this, just like it happened with you with the Bose things, $50 yeah. off. And there's more plethora of options. Like it's cheaper. There's lots of different makers. Yeah. Everything is there. You can you can examine it down to the to the nth degree, so it makes it even worse. But in some cases, you can do so much research. So what I've tried to do instead now with my kids is not have them have that doubt. Mm-hmm. Right? If they purchase something and I look at it and I'm like, you know, this thing is you know made of plastic and it's not going to last very long, <laughs> and you know. I know that they're going to be done. They're not even going to enjoy it five days from now or something like that. And it's going to be on the shelf. I try to not let that get in the way and just think about, is it something that brings them joy? Right. And then Mm -hmm. let them spend their money on it. If it brings them joy and not really like, are you sure? You know, all that kind of thing. And so they can just go purchase it and feel great about it. And then life moves on. Yeah, because it, it seems like they would they would adapt, right? Like if they bought something that they shortly thereafter felt like was a waste, then that would be a natural teacher for them mm-hmm. to learn. That's like next time, I'm not going to spend my money on, or I'll I'll think differently about it. Right? I had one experience that comes to mind actually as a kid that has to do with money and a very small amount of money, but a lot of emotional turmoil. So one time my family went to a theme park called Lagoon in Utah. And of course, at any great theme park, they've got games for kids to play. They're usually like a dollar, right? You get to play a game and you can win prizes and stuff. And so I remember being fairly young and not riding a lot of the rides because a lot of the rides you needed to be older. Plus, I was kind of freaked out by roller coasters at this age. But I really wanted to play a game. And so the whole time I'm kind of nagging my my parents like, hey, can I can I play? Just, can I just play a game? Right. It's just a dollar. Can I will you give me a dollar and can I play? And towards the end of the night, it must have been like 10 or 1030 at night. It was dark. We were getting ready to head out. My parents finally said like, all right, we're going to, we're going to let you do one game before we leave. And so they gave me a dollar and I was immediately like gone. I was, I was there handing my dollar to the person ready to play the game. It was whack-a-mole. And so the game starts and I'm like, whack, trying to whack the moles. I probably didn't even hit any of them. Right. Cause that game's so freaking hard. And at the end of the game, I remember them the lady there reaching up and getting a prize and handing it to this older guy next to me. And that was it. And I was stunned. I was like, Whoa, what just happened? Like I paid you a dollar. I played this game and you were supposed to give me a prize at the end. And my sister comes running over. I don't know what they were doing during this whole time I was playing the game. But right at that moment, when I was just like standing there stunned, my sister runs over and said, Dan, you were supposed to wait for me so that we could play against each other so that one of at least one of us would be sure to get this prize. And I remember going home feeling just awful, just like sick to my stomach, uh-huh. like just ruined the whole experience and and feeling like there was nothing I could do to recoup that money, right? Uh-huh. That we'd been kind of begging for all day. And so 
I think from that experience, I learned that there's, there's like a, a balance, right? Anytime that we're so excited about something, we think it's the best thing in the world. We have to be careful not to be blinded about just doing our research and, and making sure we understand what we're getting into before we dive in. I think that's kind of balanced my, my purchasing approach. Those two things really, like that experience combined with not wanting the anxiety of always trying to find the absolute best thing mm-hmm. has kind of made me more even kill. I try to like do some research, figure out what's out there, but then just make the call and yeah. and enjoy it. Right, right. Sounds like we're two ends of the of the spectrum, at least <laughs> on our baseline, how we are generally generally like, Yeah, I know I wanna let's go do it. And then yeah, you get you yeah. get you get you get yeah. sucker punch and you're like, what the <laughs> And me, I'm like, let's make sure. Yeah. Be sure this is it. And I can't ever can't ever get to the enjoyment phase. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is so true that there's that spectrum there. And we've got to we gotta learn to live in the middle, right? We've got to learn to enjoy the things that we purchase and not be too obsessed about, you know, how much we spent after we spent the money, right? It's already gone. So just appreciate it. But also make sure we do enough research up front. Let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Weekly, our app that helps you stick to a budget. It's in the Apple iOS app store. You can also find us at weeklybudgeting.com. We have a completely different take on budgeting. The traditional method is to operate on a month, to put everything into categories and subtract the money out of categories. But this ends in frustration for lots of people because they get halfway through the month, they may have overspent or underspent a category, they're not sure where to grab the money from. Oh, by the way, does this sound familiar? Hey, honey, where's the target receipt? I'm trying to figure out if that is a household expense or a food expense, it's just a disaster. So then you end up at the end of the month, you're not sure what happened and you just give up. So we've come up with a different way, which is to operate on a weekly basis. We take your recurring income, your recurring expenses, we subtract your expenses from your income, and then we come up with what you can safely spend for a week. Then we keep you in touch with that number, downloading your transactions from the bank so that you can always know what is safe to spend. This alleviates the guilt of spending and lets you spend with more joy. So we hope you give the app a try. Um, you can go to weeklybudgeting.com, click on the icon, go to the app store. You can also search in the app store for weekly budget or weekly budgeting. Right now we're at the top of the organic rankings for that. And give it a try. Let us know what you think and welcome to the podcast and welcome to the weekly community. You were just talking about how you're able to like know what you wanted as a kid immediately, like and go get it (laughs) and the joy of that. And then the sucker punch basically when things didn't go right and he's like, man, maybe I want to look at this a little bit closer before I spend money. But have you been able to retain any of that sort of joy of spending from your childhood? Yeah, it, it has been hard. I think when you're a kid, there's a few things. One is you're spending your parents' money, which feels like whenever you can get it, it's just great, right? You know, there's kind of... I no, always feel guilty about that. Really? Yeah. As a kid? Yes. Okay, let, let's hear about that. Oh, I don't know. Well, like maybe my dad needed it for something else. It was like, uh, <laughs> you know, are you sure this is okay? Not that he would make me feel guilty or anything. I remember the one purchase that my dad would um this always made me feel good is like we would go to a restaurant and i would be like dad can i can i get the steak you know i want i want the steak and he's yeah. like he's like go ahead and get the steak man you'll be good <laughs> it's like yes man 
thanks dad you know <laughs> so good that's awesome yeah it was really good but yeah i would feel a little just a little bit guilty about taking the parents money but you but you didn't you know well, well that is interesting because like from what you described there their money wasn't like a concern like oh you know we really we got a stretch to make ends meet which i could maybe understand a little bit more that you felt bad about it, but right. that that must have just been your your nature to feel like, well, like you recognize that you're getting something from your parents that yeah. they had to work for. Or well, with the one something. huge caveat that I asked them to let me go to Yale, so that was <laughs> they paid for that. So you got over that by the yeah, time you were like, going to college. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, remember yeah, all those okay. times. I felt bad I about the gumballs and all the things you bought I me. I sure hope you saved that because, <laughs> ta-da! Uh, uh, so funny. That is interesting. Well, when yeah, when I was a kid, I, whenever my parents would buy something or get money from my parents, it just was, it was great. It's just like payday, here it is, let's make it happen. So as an adult, you know, I it's, it's just a different experience, right? You have a few things. One is... You actually had to earn the money that you're spending. So that I think gives it more value to you. You don't want to spend it frivolously. But another thing is you have to recognize that anytime you spend money, you are taking that money from somewhere else. And maybe that's obviously you have to cover your regular expenses to live. But even if, if, if all those are covered, you still are considering how much you're putting into savings and if you're spending money, then it's not going there, right? You can only spend your money once. And so one thing that's been helpful for me is to try to segment my spending. Obviously, weekly is a, a huge tool to say, okay, I've, I've got all my savings figured out. I've got all my recurring expenses figured out. And I know that we have this much money for the week. And so I have more flexibility in, in terms of how I spend that. But I have tried to do some specific things that are just totally for fun, just spending a small amount of money that's just for the enjoyment. And one of those things is buying themed cereal. <laughs> so specialty cereal that's only on sale for a limited time with some wacky thing. For example, yeah, over Easter, we bought Peeps cereal, <laughs> which is marshmallow flavored cereal with Peep marshmallows in it. <laughs> And it is surprising. Sometimes these things are awful. <laughs> That's the first thing I was waiting for the word. But sometimes they're not bad. I would have to say, let me think of all the ones we bought. So I've bought the churros cereal. I should have made a list beforehand so I could think of them all. I've bought uh, Hershey's Kiss cereal. Okay. It's like shaped like kisses. Hershey's Kiss chocolate. Peeps cereal, obviously. What were some of the other radical ones? I can't remember. I'll have to keep thinking on them. But my favorite of those was Hershey's Kiss. It's actually delicious. On the box, it looks like it's going to be way too rich. Like the chocolate is like very dark, rich chocolate. But it's more like Cocoa Puffs. Mm. And it's delicious. It was very good cereal. You love cold cereal. I do. I love it. It's just, it's cold. It's like refreshing. It's sweet. It's like crunchy. It's so I, good. I love it too. The, I do. I'd be there yeah? with you, man. I would be there. I would totally be with you. 
That's good. Give me, give me the peeps. Good. I'll try anything. Let's go. You know, you can actually have the rest of the peeps bag because we <laughs> no, did okay, not finish. Space, I'll do it <laughs> the it's peeps, that bad. Even Dan would need it. My kids were into it, but you know, kids like if it's sugary, they just kind of go for it. But it, it wasn't. It wasn't very good. It was not good. It wasn't good. <laughs> it wasn't good. What's your favorite all-time cereal? Oh, so my favorite at home we call it Dad's cereal because. <laughs> Everyone knows it's my favorite, and that is Cocoa Dino Bites. It's not like the name brand. There's name brand Cocoa Krispies. Cocoa Dino Bites. What do you think? You had them? Mm-mm. No. No? Big, big fan of Cocoa Krispies. Big fan of Cocoa Puffs. Don't know this. Yeah. It's the it's in the bag. It's like Cocoa Puffs, but it comes in like the giant bag, you know, that's like Malto Meal or something. It's just like the huge <laughs> bag. Uh-uh. Actually, they're kind of expensive. I don't know why. The bags have gotten small. <laughs> over time so it's like five dollars for a bag of them i'll have to check it out you will so you're also telling me like your experience with the with the stimulus checks what was that like for you yeah so that was an interesting experience coming from the guy who is really into cold cereal i'll tell you my thoughts on the coronavirus irs (laughs) stimulus payments okay so I filed my taxes a few weeks ago. I'm usually expecting to owe money when we pay ta- taxes. I've you know, studied accounting in college and worked in payroll for a while, and I know how the withholding system works. And I always feel like I don't want to overwithhold because then you know, the IRS is just sitting on my money for the year and get it back at the end. But I don't want to underwithhold either. But I usually kind of feel like with some side work that I've done and other income, once that's reported that I that I may owe some money, but I didn't file my taxes a few weeks ago and I had a, a state and federal refund and those got deposited in my account like a week ago. And then yesterday I had a surprise $3,400 deposit just show up. Merry Christmas. And at the time I was just like, oh, what is that? It almost like brought some anxiety because I know usually when you get money that you're not expecting, that's a problem. You have to pay it back or there's you're, you then you're just entangled in some web that you don't want to be in. So I was like, okay, I'll deal with that later. <laughs> it's just kind of funny. That's how yep. we look at it. But that's just the reality. Like you don't just get money except in this case. So today I get online and I type, I f- couldn't hardly bring myself to type this in, but I eventually typed in and I'm on my work computer. So I'm just feeling weird about this. Why did the IRS pay me money, right? <laughs> I feel like so ridiculous, but I don't know. Like I, I didn't even know where else to go. Like they didn't send me a receipt or some kind of email or anything telling me what it was about. I just got the money. So mm. I don't have an accountant that I, you know, that does my taxes. I just do it myself online. There's like no one to reach out to. I don't know. I just got this money. So I will go to Google and I immediately found this stimulus package, but I wasn't sure that that was it or that we qualified right off the bat. It said it was like for $1,200. And I said, well, mine's not for $1,200. So maybe it's not that, or maybe it's because we have a family, but $3,400 seems like a lot. I don't know. So It took me about 10 minutes reading a few different articles to find it, but I eventually found that if you have a, if you're married filing jointly and you have two kids, you can, you'll get this $3,400. And I I don't know if it's for everyone across the U S or I don't know any more about it. I stopped there because that, that was the question I was trying to find, but 
to me, I feel conflicted about it. Of course, it's like great to get money that you don't owe back and you just get this money. But I have a job and my income hasn't changed and the coronavirus hasn't had a financial impact on my family. And here the government is just giving me a handout. Like I didn't ask for it and I don't need it, but you're just going to hand it over. So I'm a little worried about the impact that may have down the road for our country. I don't know. Our debt levels. Yeah, we have a lot of debt. I just can't imagine being in a relationship with any other entity, like a person that I know, a business who's just like, you know, our country's going through a hard time. Here's a handout. You, d- you didn't ask for it. You don't need it. But here you go. <laughs> you know, I, I don't see that ending well as a whole. So as an American, I don't feel great about it. As an individual, it is nice to have (laughs) $3,400 in my account. So how are you planning on spending it? Well, we're almost done paying off student loans, which is great. Probably been long enough. But I think I'm actually just going to put this in savings. Just put it aside for a little bit. Let it simmer. You know, just feel it in my savings account for a little while. I'm definitely not spending it like right away. You should pay off your student loans. I should. I I don't know that we're that close, but maybe. I could double check. It's been a while. (laughs) I know it's getting down there. Yeah. That would feel so good, I bet. I mean, just to have that that, that done, all gone. And it just came to you. Stimulus bill. Stimulus bill. That would be good. I don't think we could totally pay them off. And then, you know, I wouldn't have it in savings. But that's historically not been something I've been great at. You never had it to begin with. Like That's there true. was like, it, it's That's funny, true. like you didn't have it to begin with, but now that you have, it, you're like, ah, I don't know, maybe I, I need to keep this here. This thing yeah. I never had before because, yeah. you know, I don't know, I, you know, it, it's there, but you know, you, it's a total. Yes. Risk. Well, you, I realize unless, unless you're worried about having a safety net in your savings account. Which yeah. I haven't like historically been as worried about that because the truth of the matter is it's just pretty easy to pay for things on a credit card and not pay interest on it, right? Like it's so easy to get a credit card with 18 months interest free that operates the same as an emergency fund, but you don't, you don't have to have an emergency fund, right? It's the kind of the same idea. But if you had to use it, there would be interest problems and you wouldn't be able to pay it because you'd be in an emergency, but I get what you mean. Right. No, but, but that's the thing. Like if, if I needed $3,400, you know, like just historically, I haven't been as concerned about like having money in the bank. Like that's one of the top things that, you know, you get advice on is like, make sure you have money set aside. But uh, I haven't really worried about that as much as I am about paying off debt, right? Because it's like, hey, if I can pay off debt, then that's great. But there is a broader picture to this. We haven't talked about this on the podcast yet, Mm -hmm. but we're selling our home and that's going to have a financial impact right? And so that's part, like we're right in the middle of this process right now. And so when we sell our house, then, you know, we'll we'll definitely be able to pay off student loans. So kind of my thinking was get some more money in the savings account, pay this off in the near future, keep adding to the savings account. Life's going to be good. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's good to have three months of expenses in the savings account. I think that should be a priority. Yeah, so I'm going that route. So okay. It's Drew approved. Good. Let's go. Yep, that's good. As long as the interest rate on your student loans is not too high. Yeah, most of them are subsidized. What about the experience of trying to sell your house during the coronavirus? How does that work? Oh, man, that is interesting. So we 
opted to go with a flat rate listing service rather than a full service realtor to sell our home. We did this in Utah, which I think is a little bit different market, but there's also a company called Homey that's up and coming that that does this service. And they're kind of like new age and techie and they help you with the stuff that you need help with. And they post your house on the MLS, which is kind of the main thing. And they support you through the process, but it was like $700 or something. And so Anna and I wanted to do the same thing. We live in this neighborhood where every house that's sold in the past two years has had a realtor. It's like kind of a nicer neighborhood with an HOA and people are kind of like, Ooh, they, you know, they use their realtor, but I'm not a huge fan of that. Like realtors take a large percentage of your proceeds as a seller. If you're a buyer, then you don't pay anything to your realtor, right? The, the seller pays the both realtors if both the buyer and the seller have one. So we did this flat rate service for $500 to list our house for us. And it's been a little bumpy in terms of that just communication, right? It's like you're kind of communicating with a support email and it's a little bit clunky and their website's old, but they did get us on the MLS and we are able to have showings. So that's been good. How do you do showings? Like, cause is it the whole like social distancing? What if they touch something? Are you worried about that? No, that's the thing that's so weird right now with this whole thing is, you know, it's a mixed bag. The first people that came I didn't know if they even wanted to go through our house because of the coronavirus. Like I had heard about virtual showings, like maybe that you do like a FaceTime call or something and you like walk them through the house and answer questions. I didn't know how extreme it would be, but they just showed up and wanted us to like show them through the house, just walking through it, like no masks or anything. They were just like totally cool with it. So then the next people that scheduled a showing, I had like already forgotten about the whole coronavirus thing in this context. And so this realtor, she was an older lady. She was very firm. She was like, you're planning to be there? And I was like, yeah, is that a problem? And she was like, yes, it's a problem. We have an older couple that are coming through and I know them personally, so I'm okay coming in contact with them, but they don't know you and they're concerned about this. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Yes. Like, absolutely. We will leave the house. You can come through it and like, we'll not see you face to face. Right. So we've, we've had about five showings total and it's, it's just been kind of a mix of, of different people, but we try to kind of leave now. We just say, we just kind of plan to leave when someone's coming to see the house. You just go walk the neighborhood, that kind of thing. Yeah. It was just like, whatever, go out and maybe like pick up some carry out food or some cold cereal. <laughs> Some cold cereal at the store. Get our stock. So how did you handle the pictures? That's one of the big things that realtors do for you, right? Is they get the photographer over there, make these nice pictures. Yeah, that was an interesting thing that I had thought about myself a lot. We ended up kind of doing a two-pronged approach. One was we just took pictures with our iPhones. And I have like photo editing software. So I try to make them look as good as I can. And we also had a friend of ours who is a photographer. She's a high school student, but she is also does photography and does really well. So we are getting rid of a bunch of our stuff. It's part of this move. And we gave her like this big mirror we had in our bedroom in exchange for doing some photos for us. So she did a bunch of the photos, a couple of them that we didn't get while she was here, we took, and then we just put them up ourselves. And you know what? I think it worked just fine. Like I, I would imagine we're not losing any 
any business as a result of having our own photos, you know, but I think they also turned out pretty good. So, so if you sell the house this way, will you still have to pay the 3% to this, the buyer's realtor? Yeah, exactly. Which I'm kind of okay with. I've really had to mentally and emotionally go the rounds on like how much money that is, right? 3% of the sale of your home to somebody who's representing the other party (laughs) in the sale. It's actually, I'm okay with it because they are bringing buyers to us and since we don't have a realtor, I'm kind of relying on them to make sure that like we're going through all the steps and they're kind of pushing things along. What about the contract and things like that? Like negotiating? The service we use will like review the contract. We haven't had a formal offer yet. And so we'll just kind of see how that works out. But I would say I'm fairly trusting and I don't know. I also think it's like you're in less of a risky situation when you sell your house because you just kind of know what the dollar amount is and maybe I'm totally off base, but like you're just leaving with a check, right? If you buy a house, there's all sorts of things that could go wrong if you don't get the right paperwork and there's something wrong with the house and you didn't know about it or you know what I mean? Like, I think there's just more risk there. So maybe I'm naive, but we have done it once before and it worked out pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like you're doing great. And do you feel like the market is down at all? I mean, you had five showings, so sounds like everything's happening. Yeah, it seems fairly stable. Everything we've read online says that like the housing market hasn't been affected very much yet. Uh, Hopefully kind of stays that way. So once we listed our house, our estimate on Zillow, they call it like a Zestimate or something. It's like Zillow's estimate of your house value went up a lot, actually more than what we're asking for. So that's good. Yeah. And how did you come up with the asking price? Because your realtor usually helps you with that too. Well, we had a few realtors reach out to us and give us a range that they thought we could list it for. Yeah. And the ranges that they gave us seemed actually a little bit high to me based on other houses that have sold in our neighborhood over the past year and how much the purchase price was and how much the sales price was. And so we just kind of uh, eyeballed it and went for it, you know? Nice, yeah. It's one of those, it's kind of like what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, right? It's like... We're talking like thousands of dollars, if not tens of thousands of dollars yep. of swing yes. here, right? Yes. And it's like, you just got to pick a number and like go with it, right? And yeah. so there's so much that factors into that in terms of pricing something to sell it. We don't want to be sitting on this too long, but also we want to get the value out of it that it's worth. And so we just kind of factor all those in, set a prayer. And just choose chose the number. That's really funny. I mean, it's good. I had the hardest time selling my house when it was time to sell it because I overpriced it, Mm. overpriced it. And if it stays on the market too long, it gets a reputation. You know, it's like, it's like, why hasn't this house sold yet? And then you gotta, you gotta knock down the price. What's wrong with this house? There's nothing wrong with the house. It was just came on the market too high (laughs) and there's nothing wrong with the house. Then you gotta unlist it change something about the house, like get new pictures, maybe stage it and then come back mm-hmm. on the market. Mm-hmm. So there's something to be said for, for pricing. I mean, there's a lot to be said for pricing, right. Coming out. Of yeah. It. So that's, yeah, that is very interesting. Yeah. Or at least not overpricing. And if you mm-hmm. underprice, well then you might be, you know, leaving 10, $15,000 on the table. Yeah, I know. Right. It's so <laughs> crazy. And at the end of the day, it's just a transaction between you and one other person, Uh you know, like there's a whole market of people 
but at the end of the day, it's just you and one other person and whatever you two agree on. So it's, it's impossible to know what the perfect price is, right? You just have to try to get in the, in the right range. Did you ever think about doing open door? Open door is somebody that'll come and just give you price, pay you now. You don't have to worry about it. Yep. We did usually a little bit lower um, than what you might get on the market. Yeah. We had somebody in our neighborhood do that actually through Zillow, but the same kind of concept. Mm-hmm. But we looked at Open Door and Zillow, and I came down to basically what they charged. They charged six percent, so it was basically paying the same as if you had a, a, yeah. your own realtor and a buying realtor. So we ended up not going that route because we thought we could probably get more if we sold it ourselves. We'll let you know how it goes. To be continued. Yeah, there you go. That's cool. One uh, parting thought that uh, was on spending money and how when you get more disconnected from spending money, you're spending with the checkbook, like you were talking about when you were young or that when checkbooks were around, um, or you are spending with a debit card or a credit card, more with a credit card than a debit card. But the, the more you get disconnected from your money, the more likely you are to spend more money because you don't feel the pain of it sort of leaving your wallet or the pain of knowing that some of your resources are gone towards that thing. So that's why a lot of people do the cash method of budgeting because they actually spend less when you have to spend cash coming out of the wallet. But that's also not practical in today's world. You know, like all the things we need, we buy with credit cards, all the subscriptions and the internet, internet services and the phone. I mean, can you imagine like driving up to AT&T and paying cash for, <laughs> For your phone. How bill. much is my bill again? Yeah, like there you go. <laughs> okay. Like, would they even take your money if you went to the <laughs> store? I don't know store? if you can, if you could like, even do that. What? You're paying your bill here? What? Yeah, I don't even know. Maybe they would. So that was one of we were thinking about weekly when it comes to this, right? Yeah. Where if you have one number that's in front of you and you can see it going down on a weekly basis. We hope that it simulates the sort of feeling of the cash going down in your wallet, not to make you feel pain. Well, maybe a little bit, but (laughs) (laughs) just the right amount, just the right amount of pain. (laughs) I mean, you still want you to be able to spend on things, you know, make you crazy, but we don't want to make you crazy through over categorization, but you know, here's your resources and, you know, spend them on what you need, have a good time. But when it's, when it's gone, it's, it's gone because you have other goals or other recurring expenses in mind. You know? Yep. I actually hadn't thought about that before, but I think that's different than most other budgeting apps that kind of show how much you can spend in the categories and then your spending goes up, right? Where weeklies kind of got that reversed where you have this much money available and when you spend it, that number goes down. Mm. That kind of more accurately or more similarly reflects how it would be if you were using cash. So... As a final thought, if uh, customers would like to tell us something about the app or have some feedback for us on how it could be the most useful thing in their financial spending lives, we are here for you. We want to know. We want to build this for you. So reach out to us at support at weeklybudgeting.com. Tell us what your thoughts are or even Give us your phone number and we'll call you and we'll have a discussion about um, what you'd like the app to do, why you downloaded it, what you hoped it would do for you, what you want it to do for you, because we are in it to make the best 
personal spending tracker and app for your financial lives that we can. So yes, we want to hear from you. Amen. That's that. As we send it off here, I want to say thanks to um, the No BS Brass Band who uh, kicks off our pod with the music and to Aquafino for the music's about to send us off. If you want to download the app, you go to weeklybudgeting.com. Uh, it's in the iOS app store. It's on. It's only on Apple phone right now, but please download it. If you're just here for the pod and, you, and you're, not, you're an Android user <laughs> or something, <laughs> glad to have you. Uh, please share the pod, review it, um, and let us know how you feel about that. And uh, any other parting thoughts, Dan, before we go? I don't think so. Thanks for joining us. All right. Happy budgeting. Type of girl and